certainly hope and pray that you've had a good Lord's Day. Certainly keep our folks not feeling well in the upper sections of our hearts and thoughts. But even they would say, the Lord's Day is a day to rejoice and be glad in it. You can choose your title for this evening's emphasis. It has to do with joy. With joy. We could call it maintaining Christian joy. Or we are going to discuss one particular key to maintaining joy. We're going to be looking at seven pages concerning Christian joy. This will not be a deep dive into the ideal of joy, just more or less something to chew on. But we are going to try to cover seven pages. Page one, page one, Jesus wants us to have joy. Page one. Page one, Jesus wants us to have joy. John 15, verse 11. We learned that Jesus wants us to have his joy. Number one. And also from John 15, verse 11, Jesus wants our joy to be full. So please take a look at John 15, verse 11. The Lord, in a remarkable verse, he says, These things I have spoken unto you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have joy. He wants us to have his joy, which is incredible to think about. But he also wants our joy to be full and complete. Also concerning Jesus wanting us to have joy, Jesus wants us to have joy because of him. Because of him. Glancing back to John 3, in verse 29, from the mouth of John the Baptist, notice what he says. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, this is John 3, 29. Now, listen to what this fellow, this, this fellow outfitted in camel's hair, speaks very to the point here. Very much to the point. John 3, 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. John says, the friend of the bridegroom, and he considers himself the friend of the bridegroom, Jesus being the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the voice of the bridegroom. So notice that Jesus' words bring joy to John's heart and it ought to bring joy to our heart as well. So Jesus wants us to have his joy. He wants our joy to be complete. And he wants our joy to be based in him, just like John says there in John 3.29. Back in John 16.22, we find out that Jesus wants our joy to be protected. He says, once you rejoice in me, 
then that joy will not be taken away from you. He wants us to protect our joy, His joy. And then from Peter, the Lord inspired Peter to say, 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, that our joy can be unspeakable, inexpressible. So Jesus wants us to have joy. He wants us to have His joy. He wants our joy to be complete and full. He wants our joy to be based in Him. He wants our joy to be protected for it to never go away. And He says, He wants us to know that we can even get to a state of living to really where our joy is unspeakable. Now, we're not in heaven yet. We sometimes sing the song. I think the, the song is, uh, Heaven Holds All to Me. And in the song, it has the phrase, Joy without measure will be my treasure. And that's so very true as we try to, to see from John's writings this morning from Revelation 4, indeed, when we get to the throne of God, it will be joy without measure, and it will be a treasure. But that time is not yet. But even though we're not there yet, Jesus says He still wants us to have joy. Now, I like the VBS song. I don't like all VBS songs. But I like the one that has joy, joy, joy down in your heart. Where? down in your heart. I don't particularly like, and you'll notice that I don't lead uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Is that how it goes? And, we, and I don't, it doesn't mean we haven't sung it, but it wasn't for me that you heard booster, booster, be a booster. Okay. But I like the one, joy down in your heart. Because that's where joy needs to be. We can't always express it. Now I know Proverbs 15, 13 says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. Okay, but that's not all that verse says. That verse also says that sorrow of heart creates a crushed spirit. And both of those are realities of life. Sometimes you have a glad heart and it's no problem expressing that. Sometimes there is sorrow in your heart and your spirit is rather crushed. But Jesus wants us to know we can have both. We can have sorrow of spirit, but also have joy in our heart. You see, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, that we sorrow not even as the world. See, the world has sorrow, but no hope. We have sorrow, but we have sorrow that far um, overcomes the world because we have hope. We have hope, Paul says there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, 14, and 15, we have hope because of the death of Jesus and His resurrection and the fact that we know and believe that He's coming again. We're going to meet Him in the clouds. Page one, Jesus wants us to have joy. 
Page two is to notice Paul's letter of joy to the Philippians right quick. You love that book, and I do too. He mentions the idea of joy several times. Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, When I pray, I remember all of you, and I pray with joy. I pray with joy. In Philippians 1.25, Paul mentions that he appreciates their progress and joy in the faith. Their progress and joy in the faith. Philippians 2 and verse 2, Paul says, Please make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. Make my joy complete. In Philippians 2, 29, he's talking about this man Epaphroditus who has come uh, to Rome from Philippi to, to help Paul. And while he was there, he got sick. He risked himself for Paul's sake. And Paul said, he's okay now. When he comes back home, receive him with joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord. Philippians 3 verse 1, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things is no trouble and it's safe for you. Philippians 4 verses 1 and 2, he looks to that church, to those people in the church, and he says, you are my joy and crown. Philippians 4 verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4.10, Paul says, I rejoice greatly because you have revived in their giving toward his travels and toward his preaching. They had revived their concern for him. So notice here, just in Paul's little letter of joy to the Christians in Philippi, there are several ways to which we can express joy and we can obtain joy through praying, Philippians, 4, Philippians 1 verse 4, through praying. Philippians 1 25, or yeah, Philippians 1 25, through progress, growing in the faith, through unity, Philippians 2 verse 2, through sacrifice, like Epaphroditus had sacrificed himself, Philippians 2.29. By having a great appreciation for the Word of God, did you notice what Paul said there in Philippians 3, verse 1? He said, Rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. We ought to be glad to be able to hear the same things, to hear again and again the truth of the gospel. Never grow tired. And Paul mentions in Hebrews 5.11 of some who, who have become dull of hearing. Well, we want to stay away from that. And, and the more appreciation we have for the Word of God, then the greater our joy will be. When we have the kind of affection that Paul had for these brethren and for all brethren, he says, you are my joy and crown, and we'll have more joy in our lives. When we're able to rejoice in the Lord no matter what the circumstance, then we'll have more joy. When we're able to give in a sacrificial way, as Paul mentions in Philippians 4 verse 10, then we'll have more joy. So page 2 is just to simply mention Paul's little letter of joy. Page 3. Page three. I call page three here really the key, or at least one of the keys, 
one of the keys to maintaining joy. We're going to get to that. But I want us to think about Paul and Philippi. First, ask the question, how does, how does Paul arrive in Philippi in order to preach the gospel there? It starts in Acts 16 and verse 6. Paul has intentions to go preach the word in Asia, but the Lord forbids him to do so. And then, you keep reading there from Acts 16, 6 onward, he has intentions to go preach in Bithynia, and the Lord says, no, I don't want you there. So he ends up in Troas, and he receives a vision in the night where there's this man standing in Macedonia. He says, come over here and help us. And so they concluded from that that the Lord wanted them to go to Macedonia, Philippi in particular, and preach the gospel there. And so they headed in that direction. They get to Philippi. They hear about some ladies on the Sabbath day gathering for prayer out by the riverside. They go out there. They have the opportunity to preach. Lydia hears the gospel, and through that gospel, her heart is open toward it, and she submits, and she's baptized along with her household, and so the church has its beginnings. And along the way, there was there this lady who had a possession of a demon, and Paul cast out that demon. Well, this lady who had the demon, she also had some owners, some men who owned her, and evidently they were making a great deal of money from her having this demon possession. So when Paul cast out the demon, he also cast out their salary. And they got very mad about that, and they made up all these false accusations about Paul and Silas, how they're, they're doing things that will upset the government and upset the customs of the city. And so they stirred up the crowd, and they had Paul and Silas literally physically beaten and then thrown into jail. And as you remember there in Acts 16, that Paul's in prison. He and Silas, you're not going to take away their joy. They're right there at midnight, and they're praying to God. They're, they're singing praises to him. All the other prisoners hear him. And then God sends an earthquake and, and opens the, the cell doors. And, and the jailer thought he was a goner. He comes in, he says, and Paul says, do not do yourself any harm. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. He said, what must I do to be saved? And he also, in his household, is converted. And there's the beginnings of the Philippian church. Second question, how is it that Paul comes to write the letter to the church at Philippi? Okay, well, here we go again. Paul, bless his heart. Missionary journeys going everywhere. At the same time, he is gathering funds from Gentile Christians, brothers and sisters, because there's been a famine that has really hit hard back in Judea. And so while he's traveling and preaching, he's also gathering funds, and he keeps writing about this and talking about this. He, once he gets back to Jerusalem, he can't wait to get these funds into the right hands so the brethren can be helped. Acts 21, that's exactly what happens, but also... Acts 21, toward the end of the chapter, there are some unbelieving Jews there, and you know what they did? They stirred up the crowd, and they began to make accusations, and they began to say, he's against the temple, he's against the customs of the Jews, he's against this city, and they were going to kill him until one of the Roman officials rescued him and took him into some barracks, and 
There, Paul does not escape being incarcerated for the next five years. He will appear before Felix. He will appear before Agrippa. He will appeal to Caesar. He will have a, a journey to Rome, includes a shipwreck, island of Malta. Finally, he gets to Rome, and he has to stay in his own hired house there. And from Rome, he writes this letter of joy back to the Philippians about 10 years after he had originally been there. What does that have to do with the key to joy? Here it is. Notice all the interruptions that Paul encountered in getting to Philippi to preach the gospel. All the interruptions he had while he was there preaching the gospel, including being beaten. And then notice as Paul is coming back from his third missionary journey, he's delivering the funds for the brethren that he gets arrested himself or gets rescued and stays in prison. Totally not what, this is not how this day was supposed to go. He is interrupted, but he still has joy. So one of the major keys, just one, just one of the major keys to maintaining Christian joy is to be able to see God in the midst of our interruptions. To be able to see God in the midst of interruptions. And further, to be able to welcome those interruptions still maintaining your Christian joy. This is page three. The key to maintaining our joy. Seeing God in interruptions and welcoming those things. We're still on page three. Now, I get drug kicking and screaming into this principle. I believe in the principle. I believe you've got to see God in your interruptions. I believe in it. But I get dragged kicking and screaming into it. Okay. Those of you who have had the misfortune of knowing me personally know that I do not take to change just really well. Okay. I, I am not really big into variety. I hear people talk about going here and there and eat, and my reaction is, okay, it's food. It's food. You had something else to eat. Those of you who know me know that literally, this is not expanding. This is not, this is not expanding the idea. That you know literally I can survive on peanut butter and coffee for probably the rest of my life. If you throw in a bowl of oatmeal every once in a while and some, and some fried eggs every once in a while, Pretty much, that's all I need. That's all. You can, you can take my wife to the side and she will testify that this is truly the case. Okay. I do not take to change very well. I don't know why they have to grow up and get married. I don't know why they have to. There's no, there's no rhyme, no reason to that. Everything was just fine and dandy. For me... I will wear a pair of shoes until somebody forcibly 
takes them away from me. And that has happened from both my mother and my wife. One year, it was such a blessed summer. Brother Wendell Denny was, was finished with a pair of tennis shoes. You want those? I said, those look great. I wore those for the next six months with a great deal. They were already broken way in. It was great. And, well, we were sitting there one summer afternoon on a Saturday at uh, my parents' house, and my mother uh, took those and forcibly threw them in the, in the trash. But I say these things to say that even though I'm not naturally... I do not naturally have an inclination toward variety, toward change, yet God is dragging me toward this principle. And you're the same way because the reason we worry is because we fear change. I mean, why pray when you can worry, right? That's basically the way we, we roll. Why pray when you can worry about it? Of course, Paul says the very opposite thing there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And that's when you get peace. But, but we don't go that route. So we all have somewhat of trouble accepting, welcoming interruptions. So that's page 3. Page 3, the key, one of the keys to maintaining Christian joy Page four is to see that there are many interruptions in life. There are many. We want to see this from the Bible, but there are many. We don't look for these. We don't, we don't ask for these oftentimes. Sometimes they turn out not so good. Sometimes we don't think they're good and they end up being good. But there are many interruptions Many interruptions. Let's just think about it. You know, Jesus was interrupted. He was often interrupted. Think about the time in Mark chapter 2. He's in this house, and it's a very crowded house, and he's teaching the Word of God. Okay. We don't know what page he was on, but at some point in his, in his talking, his teaching, his preaching, the, the roof is broken through, and they let down a paralyzed man on a stretcher, and we have recorded there the instance. We don't have Jesus' sermon recorded there, but we've got the interruption recorded there of how Jesus heals this man. Okay. But the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. And then, that, of course, he knew that would get the, the Jews stirring and talking about him. And then he looked to the crowd and he said, which is easier for me uh, to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. And as you know, he said, before he healed the man, he said, so that the world may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And of course, that's what happened. There's an interruption for you right there. What about Mark chapter 5, 21, when Jesus... Is, um, is interviewed, or at least uh, someone comes to see him. Do I need to go to the pulpit with this mic? Y'all hear a buzz? You don't hear a buzz? Okay. 
hear a buzz over here? Anybody? We're okay. All right. In Mark chapter 5, 21, someone comes to get Jesus, and uh, a, a, a lady has died. So he's going to go and raise, raise Jairus' daughter. He's going to go raise her from the dead. But on the way, you remember, it's, people are just crowding around him. And, and this woman who had an issue of blood, she said to herself, and sometimes it's okay to talk to yourself. She said to herself, if I could just reach through and touch the hem of his garment, I know that'll help me. And she did, and it did. And power came, and Jesus stopped and said, who is it that touched me? His disciples said, Lord, everybody's around you. Everybody's touching you. But no, he knew that power had gone out from him. And so there's an interruption right there. Jesus was often interrupted. Sometimes we are too. We have to learn to be able to see the divine even in our interruptions. Other people in the Bible, remember Joseph, his father wanted him to go and check on the brothers. There you are, taking care of the sheep down, uh, Genesis 37, down, down at Shechem, uh, Valley of Hebron, goes that way, and somebody says, well, they're actually in Dothan. So he goes to Dothan, and there they are, and he's just doing what his father said do. His father said, bring me word back that everything it's okay. The brothers saw him coming. They said, let's kill him. Reuben said, no, don't shed any blood. Let's throw him in this pit. And he went into the pit, but he went from the pit to the palace. And Joseph saw God and all that happened uh, to him. Later, he would tell his brothers, you didn't send me here. God sent me here to preserve life. What about Naomi? Poor old Naomi. She and her husband, Elimelech, they left Bethlehem, Judah, went to Moab because of a famine. And they got over there in Moab and started making a living and come to pass that her husband dies. Her sons, Malon and Kilion, they take wives, Ruth and Orpah, but both her sons die and leaves her just with Ruth and they go back home Bethlehem, but there was something divine in all of that as well. Naomi was severely interrupted. Think about David, another mission to check on his brothers, this time in the battle. Okay. Take these, these ten loaves of bread, take these ten cheeses, and, and take off 1 Samuel 17. David went just as he ought to go, and he gets there, and Something more is going on than simply a battle with the Philistines. There's a lot of fear there. There's this great big Goliath giant of the Philistines, and David can't believe what he sees and hears. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That you'd be so scared of him. And he eventually meets that Philistine in battle, and he tells him, he says, you come to me with all your armor and your sword and your, your javelin, but I... I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The battle is the Lord's and it's not ours. And that proved to be true. Remember that Joseph and Mary were doing just as they ought to do. They took 12-year-old Jesus to the Passover, went to Jerusalem, they got there and they, they observed the feast on the, 
On the way back, they had lost him. They had lost him. They searched for three days. They found him in the temple. They found also something very divine, something very focused on God. They learned more about who Jesus would indeed be. What about Mark 15, 21, Simon of Cyrene, who's just in Jerusalem, he's just a passerby, but he happens to pass by at the same time that they're having Jesus to, to drag his cross from Pilate's Hall out toward uh, Golgotha. And so they insist that Simon of Cyrene bear the cross for Jesus. Simon. It mentions there in Mark 15, 21 that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And it's very interesting that later, the Apostle Paul of all people, later, Romans 16, 13, later, Paul said, I want you to greet Rufus and his mother who are in the Lord. I surmise from that that this passerby, this unexpected, this interruption that happened to Simon of Cyrene what had God in it, or God was in the middle of it. You see, here we're on page four, and we find out there are many interruptions that happen in life. They are everywhere. It's quite overwhelming to even, to even think about it. I think about the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that arose on the early church. Think about Acts 8 and verse 4 where it says, those that were scattered because of the persecution, they went everywhere preaching the word. That's not how they expected things to go. They expected to just continue to live in Jerusalem. They didn't expect to be scattered, but they were. They, did they welcome it? I don't know. But they went everywhere preaching the word. They could see that perhaps this persecution has some meaning behind it. And we're going to take the word and preach it anyway. Now, we're here on page, on page four. There are interruptions everywhere. Before we leave page four, let's stop and ask, how can I maintain my joy in the midst of a lot of interruptions? And I don't know. But we'll take a stab at it. I'm not, I'm not an expert on this. The reason I'm looking into this is to learn. Is to learn. Perhaps first we need to re-examine our initial salvation. That initial salvation is to create a great amount of joy within us. A great amount of joy. You recall when when the eunuch was, was baptized by Philip, Acts 8, 39, it says the Lord took Philip elsewhere, but the Philip, the Lord took Philip elsewhere, but the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Maybe we need to look again at our initial salvation. David confesses his sin, Psalm 51. 51, 10 through 12. And he asked the Lord as he confesses his sin, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He had lost it. He had lost it. Maybe we need to stop and think about our initial 
salvation? Did it bring joy? Did it bring joy? Do we know the joy? If we had time, we would look at these little short parables that Jesus gives about the ones who found treasure in the field, Matthew 13. And this is likened unto the kingdom of God. So joyous they are that they found this treasure that they went and sold everything they had to buy that part of land where the treasure was. And so that's like the kingdom of God. That's how much our salvation ought to mean to us. That's how much the kingdom ought to mean to us is that with joy we would go sell all that we have so that we won't miss out on the salvation. What about that initial salvation? A second thing to consider while I'm still on page four is the way Paul did it was he did everything in, in view of the gospel. He did everything, everything he did, and no matter what he was doing, no matter where he ended up, ended up, it was all in terms of the gospel. Going to Philippians 1, 12 through 14, Paul says, Brethren, I want you to know that the things that have happened unto me have turned out toward the progress of the gospel. The things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel, he says. He says, before I came here as a prisoner uh, in Rome, the brethren in, here in Rome were not near as bold as they are now, but they having seen me and my half and chance and, and my circumstances, they have grown more bold in the gospel. It would have never happened that way had I not come here under these circumstances. He's saying that his circumstances did some advanced cutting. You know, in the ancient days, if a military was going to march into a land and conquer, they had to have some advanced woodcutters to clear the way for them. And Paul is saying, that's exactly the terms he's using here in Philippians 1 verse 12, he's saying these circumstances have, have cut the path for a bolder proclamation of the gospel. Everything that Paul did was in terms of the gospel. And so that's how we maintain our joy, that no matter what happens, whether we ask for it or not, whether we like it or not, we, we maintain the same focus, and that is living for Christ and living for eternity. Am I shipped out to Anchorage, Alaska? I'm going to live for Christ and live for eternity. Am I going to have a serious health setback? I'm going to live for Christ and live for eternity. Is my family situation going to change? I'm going to live for Christ and live for eternity. Do I lose my job? Do, do I face some difficult financial situations? I'm going to live for Christ and live for eternity. But no matter what, it's going to happen that way. So first, think about our initial salvation. Second, think of everything in terms of the gospel because that's what's most important. Thinking about interruptions for a second. Stories told about a, a mother, and she had her list, and she'd been at her list all day, and she's down, and it's getting late in the afternoon, and she's got to get the dishes done. Her little boy comes and tugs on her apron and says, you know, come with me, Mom, come with me. 
she's got her list on her mind, and she, no, no, no. And he comes back, keeps tugging at her, and finally she throws down the towel, and she goes outside. And what does he want? He wants her to look at the sunset with him. And she later responded and said, I almost missed a sunset with my son because of a few dishes. See, Paul knew the importance of the gospel, so no matter what was going on, he viewed everything in view in terms of spreading the gospel. And then try this as well, and that is to trust the Lord with all of our heart. In the book of Philippians, Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 19, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus. Really, a lot of times, no matter what interruptions we face, it comes down, doesn't it? It comes down to our trust in the Lord. Someone has said, if you cannot trace the hand of God, then trust His heart. I find that to be pretty inspiring. Oftentimes, we're not going to be able to see what the hand of God is, but if we have already resolved to trust His heart, then all will be okay. If we have already resolved to view everything in terms of the spread of the gospel, then certainly all will be okay. Remember, God's not going to die for us and then not be on our side. He wants to be on our side. He wants things to go good for us. If we can remember that in the midst of interruptions, I know that would be very helpful. So page four is to notice there are many interruptions everywhere and we have to find a way to handle them. Page five is God is in an interrupting business and you can just scan the history for yourself Genesis 6, he interrupted the world with his, with his flood. Genesis chapters 10 and 11, God confounded the language of the people when they tried to build that tower. God came down with a great deal of punishment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18 and 19. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush in order to deliver his people. He brought the plagues upon Egypt. He created the Passover meal. He led his people across dry land through the Red uh, Sea. You just go on and on. God interrupts. He's in the interrupting business. He interrupted when they conquered Jericho and they marched around uh, those walls for those seven uh, days. God interrupted the world when he fulfilled his promise. He said, I'll bring you to captivity. So for the northern kingdom, he brought Assyrian captivity. For the southern kingdom, he brought Babylonian captivity. Jesus came to this earth, and God interrupted the world by bringing his son into the, into the world. The word became flesh through the Virgin Mary, and the angel Gabriel appears to her in Luke 1, 26. And, and amazingly, Mary said, be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. I'm just your handmaid. I'm just your servant. You have said more to Gabriel than that. Someone suggested that maybe Mary should have said to Gabriel, hey, while you're here, will you drop by my mother's room and explain this to her? 
Maybe she's going to need some explanation. I'm going to have a child without the assistance of a man. There's going to be a lot of explanations that's going to be needed to be uh, put out there. God interrupted the world through his, the resurrection of his son. He interrupted a lot of lives as he took Philip. He took Philip away from preaching that big crowd in Samaria to intersect the travels of the eunuch to explain to him the, the teachings of Isaiah 53 and our Lord. God is in the interrupting business. And that is page five. Page six is... God still has one major interruption that is planned. And just as these other interruptions have taken place, so will this one. We mentioned last week at the end of the Bible, the prayer is, even so come, Lord Jesus. That's what we're referring to. The second coming of Jesus, the judgment day, the resurrection of the dead, the separation from the sheep and goats, that day, that day will come as a thief in the night, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. God still plans to interrupt the world. He's well capable of it. He, he brought us here. He created the world. He can take this world out. He will. He will create judgment day. We must be ready. Page 7. Like God, we must be in the interrupting business. We cannot afford to sit back and say, well, maybe I will run into somebody who needs the gospel. We must be aggressive. We must be straightforward. This is our fight. It is Jesus' fight which makes it our fight. Okay. With a great deal of love and truth, just like the Lord, we need to enter the world. We need to interrupt some lives. We know that God will be with us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. God will be with us. We'll be meeting in our group meetings, and that's one of the purposes of our meetings is to, is to interject the gospel into the world, to interrupt people's lives, to invade neighborhoods, we don't have a choice. We must uh, do this. And so just wanted to give us something to chew on by way of maintaining our joy. And if you have looked at yourself tonight, as I have tried to look at myself, we need to ask ourselves, what about my initial salvation? Am I sure about it? Do I still have the joy? Am I maintaining that joy? Why not? Am I willing to put myself out there for Christ every day? Am I trusting Him with all my heart? Will you come this evening, right now, as we stand together?